Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. Let's pray. Father, as we stop for a few minutes and uh, contemplate your word and uh, contemplate the death of your son and all that means to us, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be soft, that you'd speak to us, that you'd speak through me, Lord, that your will would be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. morning and uh, for those of you who are wondering who I am and where Paul's gone uh, I'm one of the deacons here at the church and uh, Paul I think is on day seven of his COVID quarantine so I hope that he uh, tests negative and escapes and he will be here back in his rightful position on Sunday so that will be great so keep praying for Paul um, no doubt he's watching the live stream this morning I would say so, uh, and uh, so he'll be looking at the back of your heads, and also at me. So everybody, let's just wave to Paul, and we're here. Hi, Paul. We're here. We're praying for you. So that'll be great. So um, the text I'm using this morning is Philippians chapter two, verses five through to eight. In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus became a humble servant, a man, and he was obedient to the Father until death. And not just any death, but a death on a cross. What's the significance of not any death, but a death on a cross? Let's find out this morning. In um, about 10, 11 days' time, we have Anzac Day appearing. And over my lifetime, Anzac has taken on a more and more significant uh, expression for the community of Australia. And for Australians without a religion, it actually probably has become their main religious event for the year. And uh, I don't have a problem that we stop and remember the sacrifice of those people who bought our freedom with their sacrifice. And we remember it with national pride and it helps that we're on the right side of the argument and that, um, you know, because otherwise you wouldn't be celebrating that. 
Uh, my family, as I grew up, had a fairly um, low-key relationship with Anzac Day, which was which was really interesting. It wasn't something we celebrated. We didn't go to any uh, events or or parades or anything like that, which was really quite interesting because it was my grandparents' generation, and um, and if you look at my grandparents, my my grandfather, my mum's father, was actually at Gallipoli and took shrapnel. My mum's uncle died as one of the first at Gallipoli. On my dad's side, his uncle died on the on the Western Front. So there's a lot of pain in our family around Gallipoli. It's maybe one of the reasons. Another reason possibly that we didn't do it is that my grandma's family were actually pacifists. And uh, so they... They had a family and they had seven or eight boys in their family and none of them went to war and because of their religious convictions and none of them went to war and they were basically shamed out of their district. So if I look back at, at Anzac Day for my family, it's a mixture of heroism and shame. So it's, it's, that's where it was. Parallels are sometimes drawn between Anzac Day and Easter and uh, Jesus' sacrifice and the Anzac sacrifice. And, and indeed, there might be some merit to that. But what I'd really like to highlight today is the death that Jesus died wasn't a noble military death in a conflict that was won. It was far from it. So we're going to look at Jesus' death and how it's different from a noble military death and what that actually means for us. God's plan for redemption was unexpected. So at the time of Jesus, the Jews were expecting a Messiah, a military Messiah who would save them from the oppression of the Romans. So they were looking for their own Anzac story. They were looking for a conquering king to give them a military victory, vanquishing their enemies. That gave a noble context to any sacrifice that happened. And if you read the Old Testament and you read the good bits about the conquering Messiah, you can get that impression that a conquering Messiah was going to come and it was going to save them from their oppressors. And that's what they lived in hope for. There was other scripture in the prophecies that said something different, but that was mostly ignored at this point in time. And even Jesus, when he was with his disciples, foretold the manner of his death to them. He said, look... I'm going to suffer many things. I'm going to be taken by the chief priests and the teachers of the Lord and then I'm going to die. And he said this to his disciples and what did they do? Peter took him aside and said, no, 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 that's not the way it's going to happen. That's the worst thing. You can't do that. That's not expected. So even though prophets foretold Jesus' death, even though Jesus himself foretold his death, they were still not sinking in. They struggled with it. And when it actually happened, when Jesus was arrested and when he was taken away and flogged, what happened to his disciples? Did they hang around? No. They bailed out on him. They took off. They escaped. This was all too much for them. So it wasn't a majestic military sacrifice or victory. It was, it was tough. Everybody took off. Nobody anticipated that this shameful death this seeming defeat was actually the way that God was really going to bring victory to his people. So it was unexpected. Let's talk about Jesus' death for a minute because that's what we're here for today. That's what we're remembering. 
And as I've said, it wasn't a noble sacrifice in a military conquest. I think the first thing we need to understand is that Jesus knew what was coming. So this was no surprise to Jesus. He told his disciples. And if we look at Jesus suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane before he died, we can see that he knew what was coming. He sweated blood. That's what they, the, 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 the scripture tells us, that he was in so much anguish and pain. He knew the degree and the depths of suffering that was coming for him. So much so, his anguish was incredible. He was arrested after that. He had a sham trial and he was flogged to within an inch of his life and then he was crucified. We need to understand his crucifixion from two perspectives. The first perspective that we can understand Jesus' crucifixion from is the Roman one. What was a crucifixion meant from a Roman perspective? What was it meant to do? It was meant to engender as much shame as possible. It was meant to be a spectacle. That's what a crucifixion was all about. It was a spectacle. So it was done in the most public place possible where everybody could come and watch. It was done with the prisoners naked. We sanitise it. We put Jesus in a loincloth. But Jesus was naked on the cross. Maximum shame. Maximum shame. And maximum suffering. It was designed that people would suffocate in agony. That was the death that was designed by the Romans on the cross. And even amongst the Romans, there was some, some unhappiness. Some, um, you know, there were some senators in the Romans at the time that said, this is too barbaric, we can't keep doing this. But the Romans did. They did it to discourage people from committing crime. And Jesus was executed as a criminal. This wasn't a heroic death. It was a shameful death, a tortured death. So that's from the Roman side of it. From the Jewish side of it, we know in Deuteronomy that said, if you die on a tree or a pole, then you're under God's curse. So not only was this the most awful way to die from a Roman perspective, it was a way that was cursed through God. And so all of these things coming together with the full approval of the priesthood. So they, they were in on this too, full approval of the priesthood. This was a horrific, shameful, awful death that Jesus died on our behalf. We uh, have sanitised the cross and the crucifix. You know, in the first 400 years after Jesus' death, people didn't paint the cross, people didn't use the cross as a symbol. Why not? Why was that? Because it was actually a symbol of shame. It would be like you and I glorifying in an electric chair or glorifying in a firing squad or glorifying in a hanging. That, that was the connotation that a cross had. And, but over the years we've sanitised it, we paint it with Jesus looking you know, um, angelic on the cross with his loincloth. We misrepresent it. It, it. it was a time of pain and shame and suffering. Unbelievable. So why? I suppose the question then to me is why? Why, why, why did this awful death have to be? Why did Jesus have to humble himself to this point? Why did he have to be obedient in this situation? We know up in, that Jesus lived a sinless life. Despite all the, having the temptations that you and I did, he fulfilled his mission on earth and he lived a sinless life. And then he died the death that we deserved, 
It was necessary because at that time he carried the full weight of the sin of the world. The horrific death was a reflection that he took everything at that point in time. Any sin that was ever committed was carried in Jesus' body at this point in time. It wasn't the heroic military sacrifice that we glorify. No, it was a painful, shameful death to carry our sins. The depth of suffering that Jesus had to go through, to me, it reinforces that this wasn't something, you know, this, this wasn't something minor, this wasn't something that, you know, just paid a small debt. No, it paid a huge debt. It paid all of our debts. It bridged that chasm that was between us and the Father. And we had no way of paying for it. I, I, I've got nothing. I've got nothing to contribute to my own salvation when I look at what Jesus did for me on the cross. I can't contribute. Jesus paid everything in that space. It's impossible for us to add anything to it. So if you ever feel like oh, you're earning a salvation, think of the cross. Think of the sacrifice and the shame and the pain. There was no half measures in that. Nothing I can contribute. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. It's sobering, isn't it? Easter Friday is the sobering day in the Christian calendar. And, it, and it, it's good. It's good to be sobered. Sometimes we think, oh, we shouldn't be sad or we shouldn't be mournful. But actually, sadness and mourning are some of the emotions that God gives us that help us understand things and to help us realise the seriousness of things. If we didn't have sadness and mourning in our life, our lives would be incomplete. So what does this mean? So first of all, it means we've got an eternal debt of gratitude, an eternal debt of gratitude. Jesus paying our debt and restoring our relationship to God the Father. All right, so that's where we start. But then from that, he did that so that we could actually live a real and fulfilling life. So the reason why Jesus died on the cross so that you and I could live the life in fellowship with the Father that he wanted us to live. And how do we do that? How do we live that real life that Jesus calls us to? Now here's the thing. He wants us to embrace the same attitude and obedience that led Christ to the cross. So back to our verse, Philippians. We're meant to have that same mindset of Jesus, that humility that led him to the cross. In Matthew 16, he tells us, take up your cross. Whoever wants to save your life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose their life for me will find it. This attitude of taking up the cross, of losing our life, of having the same attitude of Jesus is completely countercultural, isn't it? I mean, what, is, what does our culture tell us? Our culture tells us, get yours, look after yourself, love yourself first. The complete opposite of the way that Jesus is going to find life. So just like God's plan was for our salvation was surprising, God's way of life for us is also surprising. It's contrary to our natural thinking. How can I gain life by giving it up. 
But in God's upside-down kingdom, the way of life in Jesus is in following him to the path to the cross. Okay? Jesus calls us to take on the attitude that he took to the cross in living our lives and only then will we have real life. Everything else is an illusion. Everything else is not real life. The only way we are to have real life is by following the way of Jesus. So practically, what does that look like? What does actually laying our lives down look like in today's context? So, and, and just let God speak to you through this. Let me say, okay, God, where do you want me to lay down my life today? So one place where God might want you to lay down your life, and this is where this Philippians is, is in our relationships, all right? God might want to lay, must to lay down our lives in our relationships. In Ephesians 5, it's talking to husbands and wife, and it tells us husbands to lay down our lives for our wives. It's a tough gig, isn't it, blokes? It's, it's a tough gig to lay down our lives because, oh, I can't, it's hard. But God wants us to lay down our lives. And if you do that, life will come to your marriage. If you lay down your life for the people around you, life will come to your relationships. Life doesn't come to your relationships by you trying to get everything you can out of them. Life comes to your relationship through laying your life down. Maybe it's in the area of your finances. Maybe we're like the rich young ruler and Jesus turned up and said, you're doing okay, all you need to do is give your money up. Ooh, tough. Ooh, I like my money. Laying down our life might include laying down our finances. Particularly if that ambition for material success is stopping us from living out the life God wants us to live. And finally, God might ask you to lay down your good reputation. Jesus took on shame on the cross. He took on an incredible amount of shame. And he was executed with criminals. Um, how much do we protect our reputation when God calls us not to? Okay? So I understand it's important to have a good reputation, but if we're putting our reputation above our witness for Christ, maybe today God's calling you to lay that down. Maybe today God is calling us to die to self and to lay down our reputations. The whole purpose of Jesus' death was to restore our relationship with God. Number one, okay, relationship restored. And then number two, he calls us to live life and life abundantly, but the way we do that is through laying our life down. Where's God calling you to lay your life down today? Where's God calling you to do that? As we remember Jesus' sacrifice, let's take the next step and follow him in the path of obedience. Okay, to summarise, God's plan for salvation was unexpected. It caught the Jews by surprise. It caught the disciples by surprise. 
But Jesus' horrific death, his death of pain and shame, was necessary to pay for our sin. And we can never say we did anything ourselves. There was no comparison. That allowed our relationship with the Father to be restored. So when God looks at us, when God the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, he just sees our restoration. And then finally, we can find true living, true life through following the path of Jesus and laying down our lives. If God took the military path, our sins wouldn't have been forgiven. Our relationship wouldn't have been restored. So I am eternally grateful. If you're here today and you've thought about this before, but you've actually never made a decision to put your faith in Jesus and to accept that he died for you, I would challenge you that today is a really good day to do that. So if you want to do that, um, find me or one of the deacons after the service mix there and have a chat to us and we'd be really happy to lead you in that path. For those who have a faith, ask God that question today. Where do you want me to die? Where do you want me to die? Where do you want me to lay down my life? So we're going to take communion now and so I'm going to ask the, um, the team to come back up. And Matt is going to lead us in communion today. But thanks for the opportunity to share with you. And like I said, if you have never made that decision before and you would like to, come and see myself or one of the deacons after the service. God bless. Thanks, Frank. I'm going to lead you in a song called Communion.